Where can you not get happy? Amen. Oh, I saw a little bit of a dancing anointing over here. Do you, do you actually dance in London or is that just a Birmingham thing where I'm from? Okay, you're not really sure, are they? I thought Sunday night was fun night, okay? Who says we can dance? You said we can dance. Okay, let's prove it. Let's do that again, shall we, Jill? Are we ready? Whatever. Come on, make some noise. then we just really want to welcome you. We're not weird, we're just happy, okay? Is that all right? And if you're watching online, why don't you get up off your couch and stop doing the other thing that you're doing while you're watching online and just really focus on Jesus. Come on, let's have some joy in the house. Put your hands together. And let Jill lead you just one more time in that song, okay? And if you've got a dance in you, come on. I, I don't know, do they dance in London? No, I think it's just Birmingham that dance. If you're watching from Birmingham, please have a lot of prayer for the London crowd right now because I'm not sure that they can dance at all. Okay? Two, three, four, whatever. Can I ask you a few questions tonight? Tonight, uh, I want to talk to you about some core, inner core dimensions within us about how to really connect with, with God. You know, when you listen to most um, pop songs or contemporary songs, the big question is, how can I receive love? And some of the songs promise absolutely more than they can deliver that there's so much emphasis put on a person meeting all of my needs 
that it actually becomes impossible for that person to meet all of that other person's needs. Don't you agree? That, that almost that people are uh, taught that they have to be the everything to someone. Well, I, I'm not sure anybody can be everything to someone. Now, I'm very committed to my wife and she's very committed to me. But can I just say publicly, she needs more than me. She needs more than me. And I can't do everything that she needs for her. And so there's this kind of cultural, uh, I want to say a lie, but, it, but it's probably a misunderstanding that, that someone can, can be everything that you need or another human person. Perhaps you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And our talks on Sunday night are, are called compass talks. They are talks to set the direction of your life by and to build foundations by. And so they're true for everyone. Now, I'm not going to read that Ephesians 3. Just keep your finger in it or, or keep your phone switched on at, at that point. But I want to say to you that every single one of us, we have layers, don't we? Um, do, do everyone watch, do, does anybody watch the film Shrek? You know, about the green ogre. Do you remember him? Uh, the first one. And um, when Donkey takes Shrek aside, he, he calls him Onion Boy because he's got so many layers to him and he has a good talk to him and says, look, man, you've just got to be real about some of the layers that are in you. And I think Donkey puts his hoof on a problem that we have. There are things that people see about us, but then there's also those invisible needs, isn't there? You know, we broadcast out a lot on YouTube and I, you know, I've been preaching online because of COVID several, several years and even before that. But you know, uh, uh, most pastors won't admit this, but you know, on YouTube, there's, there's a kind of thing where you can have a thumbs up and, and when you do a sermon, you get 25 thumbs up and then there's one thumbs down and you think to yourself, who's that? Who's that person? Everybody else is liking it, but who's that person? And we're all the same, aren't we? Somebody can tell you some great things and then you focus in on that one comment that kind of wasn't kind. We've all got some invisible needs. Where does that come from? Where well, we focus on the negative. We all have this, this kind of sense in which, oh, I've, I've got a need there that I want to keep hidden. A very important thing for us to do, carefully, pastorally, is to scrape through the layers of our lives and our hearts and see what we are really depending on. What is it? What is it that really fulfills us and drives us? And actually, that's the question in our culture. Today, people give themselves to causes, don't they? Great that they do. And, and sometimes Christians are a little bit, we're a bit standing on the side saying, oh, well, it, you know, we believe in eternity, when actually some people are doing some really good things. But in giving their life to a cause, there's a lot of disappointment when it doesn't come round. I wonder what actually is in the core of us that really will truly fulfill us, but not only just fulfill us, because Christianity isn't just about our fulfillment, but to make us the people that we're supposed to be. There are three core foundations that we have in us, and it's surprising how we try and fulfill these foundations or these core things about us outside of God. The first one is every single one of us needs some security. We need to feel that we're safe and, and we're not under threat. And if, and if you don't feel safe tonight, please talk to us and we, we want to help you. But actually, it's quite apparent to me that, that because our church is in a in a time of transition that some of us might still feel like, oh, it's not the same as it was, or it feels a little bit kind of insecure. And I get that because any time of change hits our security. It can unsettle us. 
But every single one of us needs to feel that I'm secure. God's love is secure. And he speaks security into our being and says, you can't go outside of my love. Please be safe in it. Another need that we have and a core thing about us is to know that we are significant, that we are actually valuable and we are worth something and that my life counts for something beyond me. That actually I'm not just a lonely person on a big blue planet. And you know, if you listen to the the speak from the media at the moment, it's like we're all doing something wrong because we're decarbonizing our our planet or, or causing more carbon in our planet. And it seems like we are the problem. But actually, God's love says, you're worth something to me. And I'm not saying anything against climate change or anything like that. But I want to say to you, to God, you're not the problem. There might be some things about you that are clouding your relationship with him. But you can't walk around thinking we're the problem. Actually, your life counts for something beyond you when it's poured out to others. So I just wonder whether or not this week you can begin to live in significance rather than just in. The thing that we tend to have a tendency to do is our tendency is towards selfishness and the very thing that makes us unfulfilled when we live to ourselves only. The third core about us that we need, the first is security, the second is significance, the third thing is just simply love. Now the Beatles might have got it right when they said all you need is love, but in one sense all you need is God's love. Well, you need need a love that's beyond this world. Love is that my life is worth something, no matter my successes, no matter what is said to me, and what anything else happens to me, that we have someone in our lives that says this, I love you anyway. Now, it's very difficult for some people when you don't have another human in your life that says, I love you anyway. And some of you might have been rebuffed and and rejected in, in that area. And of course, that's really difficult. But in reality, God says to you, I love you anyway. And if you're a guest with us tonight, and if you're kind of checking out Jesus or church and, and who these people are, I wonder if we could take a few moments to describe what God's love and real love is about. See, all these elements, are made complete in God's love. Security and significance is found in the love of God. And if you will begin to say, well, what I need in my life is an understanding of the love of God, that will create a foundation that will set a course in your life where you'll be able to come at life in a really different way. You see, God's intention is, is that we are all loved and that we learn how to love. And we all mess up in this area. In fact, in my life, sometimes I've been a tragic failure in how to show the love of God to people. But God wants to teach us all how to love. You see, we need the love of our God in our hearts as a bedrock as an absolute foundation. Last week, I told you about the absolute truth of the love of God. This week, I want to begin to deepen your understanding of what that love is. You see, you all agree with me. I, I know that you actually might actually be just teetering over into the boredom section of the message in that, Pastor Mark, you're not saying anything to me that I don't know or I don't agree with. You haven't told me a story that I've gone wow at and you haven't mentioned a fact that I think is amazing because actually what you've said is you need the love of God and you agree with that. But actually, you know what we don't do? We don't take that understanding any further. We say to ourselves, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. 
I can't remember the last line. We are weak, but he is strong. And we, we say that, but we don't deepen it. Shall we deepen it tonight? So that, that actually when we log off line, online or when we walk out that door tonight, you begin to think, you know what? I, I want the love of God more in my life. And I, and I begin to understand it a little bit more. Are you ready to, are you still there in Ephesians or did that seem such a long time ago? We find it hard to describe the love of God. We just merely state it. But I want to try and get our heads around it tonight and maybe come up with a working definition of it. I just want to say to you, love is not never having to say you are sorry, as is the popular definition. Love is not an incredible feeling only, as is the definition in the world. Actually, to know what God's love is, is revelation. It's not just knowledge. It becomes something that you are shown in the Spirit. And it begins to warm your heart and change your view about people and about yourself. So you're ready for perhaps a revelation, a kind of miracle tonight that you think, hang on, I've not seen it like this before. You see, I've got big ambitions for this service. You came for a service, I came for a miracle. And I know that you came for a miracle. I'm not the most spiritual person in, in, the, in the church, uh, Sister Claudette and Pastor Scott are. But I just want you to know that I just believe that God wants to breathe into your heart a new view of God's love. Are you with me? In Ephesians chapter 3, don't worry, this is not the start of the message. Ephesians 3 verse 17 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Now understand this. You haven't just got to say God loves you or God loves me. You've got to grasp its dimensions it's really important that you begin to do a little bit more work in your spirit. Look at verse 19. And to know that this love, that surpasses knowledge. You see, it becomes revelation more than how much you know. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We are told in this scripture that by how much you can grasp hold of the love of God is by how much you will be filled with God. So it's really important for us as people to begin to say, well, if I want to get to know God, I need to begin to understand what his love means. You know, a definition of love, you might want to say this. Love always seeks the highest and the best for yourself and others according to the will of God. Maybe you want to write that down. Love is that you seek the highest and the best for yourself and for others according to the will of God. You see, God's will and God's love are connected and combined. God's will is always loving towards you. When we see love this way, you, you kind of stop believing the lie. If it feels so good, it can't be wrong. Because no matter how good the feelings are, if it's not according to the will of God, then it's not really loving. God's love and God's will are always in harmony. In fact, earlier on in the book of Ephesians, it says, for God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined you, he chose you 
for the adoption of his sonship to become part of his family through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. His will is always loving. Let me tell you something startling. If you think about it, even the fact that he crushed Jesus was a loving act according to his will. In fact, doesn't the Bible say, it was your will to crush him for me and you? You see, God does some incredibly strange looking things from the outside. But doesn't the Bible say that God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That young man bleeding on a cross was an act of love towards you. It was God's will to crush him so that he could love you. Love is doing the highest and the best according to God's will for you and for me. And for Christ, it was the highest and the best for him to pour out his life, even for him, because for him it meant that he could then be in loving and eternal relationship with you. You see, we've got to start thinking differently about how you are loved, how I am loved, how we express love. Kind of deepen your understanding on it. Can you come with me and think a little thing? If you define love, can you begin to deepen your understanding about how God loves you? You've heard it said, haven't you, that God loves us unconditionally. You would have heard that. And and in that, he has always loved us from eternity past. You are loved unconditionally. You didn't have anything to do with it. He just decided to love you. In that, he's not focused on how good you are. He just loves you. And, And that means, and in that sense, it's unconditional. It's not about how good you are in that he first loved us and actually he reached out to you. Do you know, there's a song that Matt Redman used to sing, I found Jesus, but actually the truth is God finds us. Do you know that? That God's actually seeking you tonight and, and, and kind of trying to pursue you and reach out to you and causing uh, things to happen so that Christians pop up everywhere in your, in your life. That's what happened to Kathy. Uh, she never met a Christian until she first started thinking about God. And then Christians were everywhere. God was pursuing her. In that, he first loved you, it's unconditionally. In that, he just wills to love you. Just in his nature, he looks at you and he says, oh, I just love them. Uh, my will is, it's not about my feelings, it's I will, I love you. It's unconditional. In that, we can't love God by self-effort. It's unconditional. You, you know, you, there, isn't, there isn't like some people in this room who are better at loving God than others. God gives us the ability to love him back. In that you can't court God, or that's a really old word, isn't it? Or romance God and, and try and make him love you anymore. He loves you. I might say that again, he loves you. And in that sense, it's all unconditional. You didn't have anything to do with it. But all of this does not not mean that God does not have any expectations from you. And your response to that might be by grace and your ability to respond might be by his strength, but nevertheless, he still expects a response from all of us, that we respond and love him back, even if that is empowered by his grace, even if it is by the things that he does for you. It's not just how we feel, but our response to him is like a framework of our relationship. 
Everybody, everybody in the house, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, you will find in my teaching that this is key teaching for us as disciples and for us as Christians. John chapter 15, I'm going to read quite a passage to you from verse 9. Read it along with me. I'm going to read from John 15, 9 through 17. Here we go. These are the words of Jesus. And I want to, in a sense, imagine that this is a small environment where Jesus is saying this. And he's just talking to 12 other people. So he's not kind of blasting it out. He's, he's kind of saying it gently in conversation. He says it like this. As the Father has loved me, Let's think about this for a moment. As much as the Father loves Jesus, and the Father loved Jesus for eternity with no limit. He says, as, as the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands, I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you'll begin to learn how much God loves you, it won't be an arduous, heavy thing on your life, but joy comes. The people who are loved the most are the most joyful. People understand this. And I, I really get it that some of us have had a difficult time in love. But if you begin to say, well, God, you really love me, and I understand it, joy will rise. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has, has no one than this, they lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. That's amazing. You didn't choose me but I chose you and I've appointed you so that you may go bear fruit and fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. This is my command. Love each other. That's not totally unconditional, is it? That's not totally without you having to respond. Jesus' love here is he asks for a change of behaviour. Friendship with Jesus is not based on our feelings alone, but it's on our obedient interaction with his commands. And in that sense, it's not unconditional. It's not something that you can just say, well, God just loves me and it doesn't matter how I live. Jesus said, you're my friend if you obey my commands. Now, some people take this verse and they, they take all the grace out of it and they live a life of striving and they're always worried whether God loves them or whether they're pleasing God. But actually, Jesus is inviting you into a relationship where you have to respond. And can I say to you, if you are in a relationship where you're doing all the work and they are not responding, they don't really love you. And it might be good for you to just get out of it. Because what God says is, real love needs a response. And that's where he's teaching in John. He's saying, real love needs a response. And tonight, I want to say to you that love and God's will are in complete harmony and he seeks the highest and the best for all that you are. But he loves you that he loves you that he loves you. But he loves you enough to say, 
What are you going to do with my love? Even if he gives you the strength to do something with that love, you have to respond. God loves you. He cares about you. So will you take up his offer of love? You see, in the church, what we do is we go to two extremes or we fall between two stools that aren't really good. We say God is loving and he needs a response, but what we do is we set the bar so low that that love doesn't change us. We, we say that God will allow anything and, and that his love doesn't change us if we allow it to be so low. But you know what? then we go to the other extreme of where we say God's love is so unconditional that actually the people in the world, they don't actually buy it. And they don't actually believe it because they know that when, they come to, when we ask them to come to church, we want them to do things. And actually what we need to do is to say, actually God's love demands a response and it demands a relationship. It's not just this freebie, although it is free to you, but it cost him everything. You see, in the New Testament, there are things like carry the cross. There are things like if you don't forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also not forgive you. There is a cost to being a Christian. And tonight, if you're a guest amongst us and you're not sure about Christianity, can you understand this? that actually God loves you so much that he asks you for a relationship and not just thoughtless obedience. He wants to be your friend. And if you become his friend, it means that there are some things he's going to ask you to do. And that's true of every real relationship. Kathy because she loves me, demands of me that I carry some responsibility. Amen? Oh, you've gone really quiet. Because you want to be loved where everybody does something for you, but that's not real love. That isn't love. Real love is you do something for me, I do something for you. We give our lives and we pour our lives out for each other. That's love. And as I said earlier, if you're in a relationship where you're doing all the work, that's not love. Love needs a response. So can I teach you some new language? Yeah, sure. Keep using the unconditional language because it's true in some ways. But can I tell you that God's love is a pursuing love? He's always going to come after you. He's always going to become and try and find you. And then he never gives up on you. He's always giving opportunities for you to respond to him. God's love is a, is a no matter what happens love. That no matter what happens, he always is available. No matter what's happened and no matter how we feel, God always loves you. God's love is a resilient love. You cannot drive God away from you. You can be mean to him. You can shake your fist in his face, but he will come back for more because he loves you. He loves you with a relentless love that you cannot drive away. God's love is an enduring love. It will stand the test of time. Through all your ups and downs and your failures and your successes, God's love will always endure Will you respond to this love? You know what? You're looking at a man who gave the worst marriage proposal ever. I was so lame when I asked Kathy to marry me. You know, I, I look at some of my friends and they whisk their bride off to a romantic spot and had it all planned out with a table on top of the hill with the roses over it. And, you know, there was a violin player in the background. One of my friends even flew his bride to Rome and, and proposed to her in the Colosseum saying, I will always be your gladiator. I'm thinking, oh, wow, man, what is this? I... With my proposal to Kathy, 
We were in her parlour, which is an old word for front room. We got two flip-flops and we were playing table tennis with two flip-flops. And we were knocking it back and forward. We were just being silly. Of course, we were giddy in love, of course. And we're playing flip-flop back and forward. And Kathy's getting a little bit frustrated at me saying, Mark, you need to decide your future. You need to decide whether you're going to Bible college. You need to decide whether you're going to preach. You need to decide, you need to make up your mind where you're going in the future. And I said this, I can't fully decide my future unless you decide whether you're going to marry me or not. And we were flip-flopping away. And that was the proposal. And she said, oh, darling, you know I will. And I went, oh, I missed my shot. It, it was the worst proposal ever. So I am not the best romantic in the world. But you know, you might not be very good with words and you might not know the right language, but you can respond to God's offer that says, I love you, come to me, have a relationship. I love you, I died for you, I gave my life for you. And as a Christian, will you stop pushing me away and will you say, yes, Lord, I will respond to your commands because living for you is worth it. your